Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Jonah and Ben Play Board Games with Friends. I am Jonah, joined as always by my co-host Ben. Hello, hello. And today we are joined by Jamie, I believe. Is that your name? Yep, it's me again. Hi Jamie, hello. how's it going? <laughs> Doing good, thank you. How is the weather over there in St. Louis? Gray today, but it's been warming up, which is really nice. We got, I mean, I guess the whole whole country got that freeze but that was <laughs> yep that happened here <laughs> really glad to be on the other side of that yeah we actually had a couple 70 degree sunny days this week yep. so went disc golfing uh, amazing looked outside longingly at beautiful weather <laughs> for the first time in five months <laughs> we've been taking the dog uh to parks and playing fetch with her which has been amazing because uh i I found out she's a retriever i guess and apparently those breeds i like jog with her but apparently they need the hard cardio and and my (laughs) out of shape but can't keep up with her so letting her off the leash and and throwing something over and over again has uh been good for her mental health it seems fun fact the word retrieve is based off of the breed what (laughs) wait just like the color wait no there's no way (laughs) this feels like a what came first chicken or the egg situation sounds like a bad joke i I don't know what cardio or jogging is (laughs) yeah you do you're doing crossfit these days once every two or four weeks it doesn't mean i'm jogging or doing cardio no, I'm kidding. I am doing cardio. And also, it's supposed to be every week, but sometimes I get lazy. So I'm going to go next week, though. Heck yeah. I had a nickel for every time I said that to myself. I mean, I am. The difference is when my brother's home, I feel like I'm forced into it. And when he's not home, I feel less That's forced huge. into it. Mostly because he comes home and says, did you go to the gym this week? And I'm like, no. And he's like, well, why? Are you? You're an idiot. Why? <laughs> and I'm like, because I was either busy and or didn't feel like it. He's like, you're so stupid. And then he goes up to his room and plays FIFA. That's why you have a gym buddy when you go work out. It's accountability. Sure, you both we'll feel forced to work out, so you both have to go and work out together. Yeah, sure. Let's We'll call it that. So, yeah. Wonderful. And Ben, what have you been up to? Uh, I actually played a few board games this week. I also disc golfed with you. Uh, And Jessica. Jessica And Jessica. Um, I also disc golfed with my friend Kevin. Uh, A lot of disc golf this week. It was so nice out. And uh, yeah, I mean, that was the majority of my week, to be honest, was disc golfing. Uh, I had three interviews this week. To hopefully get back to work. How did uh, they at, go? I th- well, <laughs> I think they went well, but it apparently is difficult to get feedback from three people in four days. Apparently, so I don't know officially, not yet at least. But it is uh, at the same company that I was working at prior to COVID that the whole I was trying to transfer into another group, and then hiring freeze, and I couldn't, and then they let me go due to COVID. Uh, and I'm trying to get back in with that group that I was trying to transfer into. And I've been in contact with them since September. So it's been a long process, but hopefully it works out. We'll see. I think the interviews went well. And uh, I don't know. It sounds neat. They work on um, envi- environmental, like sustainability based tax incentives. 
So carbon recapture taxes and things like that. It sounds interesting enough to me. Um, and I like the sustainability aspect. I mean, I'm not like a green freak, not to insult people who might be. And I don't like the environment is what it is. And I like the environment. Oh, I thought but you were saying this... you don't like the environment. <laughs> no, I mean, it is what it is. I don't, I don't know. I think like you need a large scale effort to really make any difference on the environment. And That's right. one Before person, the corporations do something. Why should we? Yeah, well, and one person doing something isn't going to make a huge difference, but that's a personal opinion. But I think the science and tech behind sustainability and environmental efforts is neat. And this works in that department as well as research and development incentives. And I like seeing new stuff and new tech. So hopefully this works out. No single snowflake cool. blames itself for the avalanche, Ben. Okay. I like the, uh, yeah, I definitely, when you said it is what it is, rather than like, you know, hearing no one person can, can save the world. What I heard was definitely like, look, I accept that the environment exists. Okay. <laughs> it is, it is what it is. It's there. <laughs> yeah. We do our thing. <laughs> right. I mean, I, mean I, re I recycle, but at the same time, if there's a place where they don't have a separate recycling bin and a trash bin. I'm not going out of my way to find a recycling bin. Like, Dude, I'm <laughs> I'm know. terrible about that. I you know, I've read all the stuff about like, oh, it doesn't make that much of a difference or whatever, but I was raised with it. So like when people put something that doesn't go in the recycling at, at in the recycling at work or the other way around, I'm like in there like <laughs> digging it out and like no, shuffling I'm it dumpster, around. Dumpster diving. <laughs> dumpster diving at work cuz it just cuts me to my core I mean, even my, though i know it's not the most important thing my roommate in college always i mean i've never seen this so it was new to me but apparently he would like if there was a recycling container, so, like he would wash out his cans before recycling them that's what we do I, that's so get the food residue off of there i don't know to me that's so weird it's like why <laughs> put the extra effort in just put it in the recycling <laughs> it was really weird to me to see that but i guess that's the thing i never yeah. knew that was the thing I don't know if you're still supposed to or not, but at least before it like couldn't be recycled if it wasn't uh, if everything wasn't separated and if there was food residue on it and everything like that. So could could be different now because like mingled recycling didn't be didn't used to be a thing either. Right. Who knows? Not us. And <laughs> recycle is also the third R in the trio, which means it's the least important right. one. It's reduce, reuse, and then recycle. Yes. So ben, I'm sorry. I I, you're reducing and then reusing before you're recycling. <laughs> sorry, I just got my email confirmation for my appointment next week, which is exciting because it took like an hour and a half to get my confirmation email. So oh, yeah, cool. you're going to get the jab? Unfortunately, but fortunately. Shots in arms. I know you like that they're saying that. That's the. Okay, if we're on another <laughs> thing that is just stupid, <laughs> why can't they just say on the news? We're going to administer this many doses. Why do they need to say shots are going into arms this Saturday? Like, why do you need to say it that way? It, it's not good for people like me who are terrified of needles. Yeah. I don't need you to say shots are going into arms. Just say we're administering a vaccine and then stop yeah. showing everyone getting their shot on yeah. the news. I don't need to see it. Stop. I already close my eyes anytime a needle shows up in a movie. Mm -hmm. I don't need to see it on the news. I'm the exact same way. 
Yep. It's in like all the like YouTube. I, I keep telling YouTube I don't want news on YouTube. That's not why I go on that website. And it keeps on trying. And all these thumbnails are, yeah, of, of, of people with needles, with shots in their arms, as you say. And yep. <laughs> it I don't like it. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But yep. So I've got my appointment for next Saturday. So I'm excited. Kind of. Well, congratulations. That, that, that is exciting. <laughs> We're killing it with our new soundboard on this show. Uh, anyway, Jamie, what have you been playing lately? Yeah, I actually... Uh, yeah, <laughs> Yeah, that's another podcast. Um... I actually have been playing a decent bit of games lately. Um, our game of the week, the last time I was on the show, was Innis, and uh, it was gifted to me for Christmas by my mother-in-law. Uh, right. So super exciting. The, the, it's, I, I enjoy the physical like copy a lot. I had mostly played it online so far, and yeah, the components are really nice, and I've been playing it uh, a decent bit uh, two-player with my wife, and... I've heard mixed things about Innis two-player, but we've really been liking it. What's up, Ben? Does your copy, is your copy the, like the new art copy with the funky, funky, funky box? I the old box was pretty funky, too. They're both, they're both funky. Um, so the, the one I have has like, it, right? uh, has like a, a man with flowy hair and like a robe on front and holding a staff and like pointing to the sea. Oh, I think the one, old think. box has the, the blue woman man. leading like clans to a yeah. cliff face, something like that. Yes, that right. the the new one was the funky. The the one you're talking about is the new one that I thought was funky. The new one is three <laughs> funkies. The old one is one funky. Yes, right. And then scale. Yep. Oh God, is but, that a new scale? Like the peanut butter <laughs> scale, the Ben Funky scale. We'll but yeah, we we really like it at uh, at two player. I do think uh, I've liked it best at four player. But obviously, lately it's hard to get four people together. Um, let's see what else. Uh, f- kind of fortunately for our topic this week, uh, I played a bit of Hive, uh, a bit of Azul, and then uh, you and I, Jonah, just played a couple games last night as well. These all fit into. Our topic, which That's is, right. which we're not ready for yet, because Jonah hasn't done his uh, games played this week. Oh no, it's cool. fine. You can you can announce the topic, and then we'll get into it later. The topic is abstract games, which uh, I guess we should define for those not in the know. Um, Jamie is pausing so he can think of a good definition. <laughs> yeah, I to help out with the pause. I really should have should have <laughs> written something down, I guess, before the show. But yeah, they're uh, they're usually two player games, um, usually without a strong theme, um, and they they I, I think kind of the most important defining characteristics are that they don't have random chance and they don't have uh, hidden information, um, or at least. If they have either of those things, they're they're there in really small amounts. So that so the classic uh, examples are chess and go, games where I get a move and you get a move, and we have a limited number of moves that we can take. So it's all about kind of trying to trying to anticipate 
what your opponent is going to do without any kind of element of like what kind of card are you going to draw or like what are the dice going to say that's so that's kind of definition jamie I love thank it. you <laughs> but, but there's the definition that was on bgg oh hey Basically. look at me <laughs> it, it, on bgg it said an abstract game is a game that does not rely on luck and has no apparent theme usually mm-hmm. But there's kind of, uh, I feel like, you know, two player, my move, your move, uh, no, no hidden information, no random chance is all like, uh, like quintessentially abstract, but right. there's also a little bit of flexibility, right? Like I would consider Azul an abstract. I think it's, it's on the abstract list on BoardGameGeek, but, um, but it does have uh, an element of random ch- chance with the drawing of the tiles. Right. Yeah. Um, Did you... And it's multiplayer as well. Right, yeah. I, I'm trying to think of any abstracts that. Well, I guess we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, games played. Uh, you played Azul. Did you play on the front side or the fun side? I played it on the front side because we were uh, we were playing with someone who hadn't played very much before. Uh, the the fun side, the They're blank side, is our uh, is our preferred two player side. Wonderful. We, uh, we really like the room to step on your own toes. Be your own worst enemy. It's a lot well, of fun. Let me tell you a little story. <laughs> uh, so Jessica and I are both immunized, and two weeks post second shot, which the CDC says is fully vaccinated. Shots in arms. Shots in arms. We got shots in our arms. Uh, and the CDC also came out earlier this week and said, if you are fully vaccinated, you can meet indoors without a mask with other fully vaccinated people. Additionally, you can meet indoors with one other household of unvaccinated people if they are low risk and you can all be unmasked. So Ben is our one other household. He is low risk. Well, technically, I, I'm a big boy, so that's the high risk I'm using to get my shot. But uh, I would, low, I would say I'm, for I'm socializing low purposes. Risk. Yeah. So. so Ben came over uh, Friday night. And we actually had a great gaming session. We played Tokyo Metro in person. Then we played Azul with Jessica. And then we played Food Chain Magnate with some expansion modules after that. And uh, to run through them kind of quickly, Tokyo Metro, I think, is actually quite good in person. And it plays, obviously, faster in person than online. But I was also kind of surprised at how quickly it went in a two-player game. So I made it a point to time our game. And we played Tokyo Metro in an hour and 20 minutes, which I think is really good for that game. Uh, It was also great to use the poker chips that I have. So that's nice. And then after that, we played Azul with Jessica on the fun side. And... Anytime. First time for me. By oh, right, way. first fun side time for Ben. So it was really yeah. exciting. And I was crafting this beautiful spot on my board. I filled in the four around it. I had, a, I think, just those four around it. And I was getting ready to put some more on that row or in that column. And then, so this is round two that I have that spot ready. I did the two next to it and the two above and below it. And then round three rolls around, and I look at it, and I say, huh, the four around it are all different colors, so the fifth color should be the one that goes in the middle, right? 
but for some reason, some idiot put that fifth color in that column at the very bottom. Oh, no. I, of course, am that idiot. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I Sudoku'd myself round two slash three of Azul. And, uh, yeah, I loved it. It was still fun. We had some great final scores of 72 for me, 70 for Jessica and Ben. I had 48 or something. <laughs> but I also I also Sudoku'd myself. I was building a nice mosaic left to right. I had a whole full column in the first row. Yeah, Ben had and an then, interesting method. Yeah. I, well, I don't know how well I play Azul in general, but I was pretty good on, on like the Sudoku bit. It wasn't like a huge deal. And then apparently in the second column, I put one of the yellow starbursts on the on the first row. And I guess just looking at the very bottom row versus the very top row, I didn't like see that in my head. And I needed one more thing to fill in the full column at the bottom on the second column. And I started stacking in all of my yellow starbursts because I was like, oh, this is the only color I'm missing. Turns out the only color I was missing was red. So I had to so I had to just toss the yellow starburst on its own in like the third column for one point. But I really like the side. I see why you call it the fun side, though. I do find both sides fun. I like the game in general, but this was definitely like an extra layer, which I thought was really neat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're definitely both the fun side, but. I like to shoot myself in the foot in this game. Or at least, yeah, you, I like to have the option that I just always to take. See, just to see you have a full column and a full row, and then the one spot in the middle of both of them. <laughs> it was so sad. Was oh, so many points could have been had. Is it more points to to create a gap like that and then fill it in? Or it, it, there's a difference between that and just kind of like drawing a line? There are more points to that because you count the orthogonal touches when you place it. So if you have, like Ben said, if you have a column and row intersect on an empty spot and then you put something in that empty spot, you would get, I think, 10 points. Yeah, you get 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and then 1, Mm -hmm. 2, 3, 4, 5. And then also by completing the column and row, you'd get plus 2 and plus 5 for the column in the row. 7. Yeah, plus two and plus seven for the column and row. So yeah, there are tons of points that way. And I found in playing Azul, if you can, and this is why I like the backside, if you can orchestrate it such that you complete a intersection, you'll always get a lot of extra points. So I kind of have a slow build in Mm. the first few rounds to leave myself some open spots. I mean, it doesn't always work, but you definitely have the flexibility when you can put stuff wherever you want. I was I was impressed that Jessica managed to get all yellow starbursts on the board. She managed to get all five. I got all that the was, reds. Well, I wasn't looking at your board. <laughs> okay. But yeah, I lost by a lot. That's a theme, by the way. It'll come up again. I know it's been the theme <laughs> next week. I know that's been the theme since the start of this entire podcast, but it's again the theme of every game that <laughs> was played. But we had fun this week. We did. And I agree also on Tokyo Metro. It was I really enjoyed it at two, actually. I thought it was fun. It was quick. However, I should have played a little more central, I think, because Jonah had stations, all six stations, like right smack in the middle where like everything was overlapping. And I was putting some stations like on the outskirts, which only were getting hit by like a couple of trains, which while I speculated really well, 
I didn't gain money off of trains actually running, which I think hurt me in the end. Jamie, have you played this yet? Uh, no, no, I haven't. We'll have to play it sometime. It's pretty neat. There's uh, investing in train lines and buying shares, starting train lines, building stations. It's a neat little game. Yeah, you've uh, you've mentioned it a few times. I'd be into I'd be into trying. Wonderful. We'll give it a go. Me too. And then the third game we played, Food Chain, two-player, the expansion modules. Chosen by me, so problems. No no problem there. One problem. Uh, So we had the night shift manager, which is non-salaried employees work twice. We had the gourmet food critic, which markets to garden houses. We had noodles, which just fulfilled demand if no one else has it. And we had, you know, the new milestones and an apartment building on the map. Uh, I think the Gourmet Food Critic is not great in a two-player game because you're not going to have that many gardens. And when you have gardens, the game is probably towards the end at that point. It's also interesting because the Gourmet Food Critic tiles have marketing numbers of 17, 18, and 19. So by the time you have gardens on these houses to market to them, you're already going to have probably some airplanes and mailboxes in. And with those and the billboards. And a radio. And a radio. Yeah, you're going to have four different types of advertising that go off before you can even have the Gourmet Food Critic advertise. So iffy on that. And also, I don't think I like noodles in this game because you can get milestones with noodles which i think doesn't make sense so if you sell a pizza and you use a noodle to fulfill that pizza demand that triggers the pizza radio milestone Hmm. or if you sell a burger and you use a noodle to sell that burger you get the fourth slot under your ceo So it seems like it's really easy to just push crazy marketing on the map and spam noodles, especially with a noodle chef making 16 noodles, which just satisfy every demand that's left over. You don't even have to think about houses and card operators and drink types and food types. So a little iffy on that one strategically. Thematically... I don't know if I love noodles being able to fulfill drinks because, man, I'm thirsty. Let me eat more Mm -hmm. things that are going to make me thirsty. Well, Mm -hmm. it's ramen. Which is salty as hell. (laughs) But, yeah, because I was like, oh, maybe I can actually get to this house because I've got a drink they want and maybe I can make the food. And then it was like, nope, noodle, noodle. (laughs) But honestly, I thought... That I was doing fairly well. I finally, for the first time in my life, got up to the brand director, which got me the permanent radio. And I had used the marketing milestone, which got me five bucks per market. And a radio is pretty good on a two-player map. (laughs) Yeah, I put it smack in the middle, so it was hitting every single house. Um, And then I was like, oh, yes, yes. I even texted Ashley. I'm like, I think I might finally win this game. And then I glance up from my phone, and I see Jonah with a stack of 50s. That's like just from that stack alone is bigger than the amount of money I already have in my pile. And I immediately look back down and text her back and say, never mind. 
We don't need to talk about the final score. We had no. <laughs> it was fun. I no, I had a good time, but I can. I'm never going to win this game. So, and that's fine. It has been. I mean, it's been a while since I've played Food Chain, but it's been much longer since I've won Food Chain. <laughs> I can say that with confidence. Yeah. I feel it's like not I'm an easy game. Being blamed for things here, Jamie. I, I get. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess I do mostly play play with you here's what's terrible <laughs> about playing food chain magnate with you is that i mean i don't know if this is still the case but i remember when we were like figuring out the game together like something clicked for you and you really started doing well i was like man like i feel like jonah keeps winning and he'd be like well i like i don't know what i'm doing like i'm just like hedging my bets and like keeping my options open i feel like i'm playing like really reactively and and just kind of like struggling through it i'm like oh me too, <laughs> but, like, yeah, but I'm losing. So you you must understand something here. But yeah, Using your bets—that is definitely what I do. So interesting question here. In my head, for some reason, I mean, there is a theme, but I feel like this game is a no luck, non abstract game. But I guess it could. That's be why like Jamie a and I like it so much. I guess it could be a simultaneous play abstract game. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I almost like like we said, like the, the boundaries are a little fuzzy. But for me, the fact that you um, the simultaneous action selection, kind of simultaneous action selection, where you decide what you're doing for the turn all at once um, introduces like too much uncertainty, along with the fact that it's multiplayer, along with the fact that you take a bunch of actions all at once. Um, that, that's actually something I want to get into a little bit later is like in, in chess and go and a lot of these other games, I make one move and you make one move and it limits the space that you have yeah. to kind of analyze. And food chain magnate is just so big and there's so much going on. And even in just one person's turn that it's like impossible to, um, it does have that element of like a lot, you know, marketing is delayed by a turn and sales are delayed by a turn. So you can plan ahead for next turn. And, and that gives you that same feeling. But in terms of like reacting to your opponents, there's kind of more guesswork, I guess, than I would say in like a, a pure abstract game would have. Definitely. Yeah. Makes it's sense. a lot harder to say what five things can they do right. compared to what one move do I have to prepare for? Right. Right. Makes can sense. I, uh, that, that actually segues really well into one of my topics. Can I, uh, get in there? Yeah, sure. sure. All right. So, so, so one of the things I wanted to talk about with abstracts is, uh, first player advantage. Um, and it exists in like most of the, I'm going to keep saying pure abstract games <laughs> that, that I'm aware of. Um, and, and different games have different ways of handling it. Uh, chess basically just doesn't, uh, I think in tournaments you play multiple games to account for first player advantage. You switch who plays white and black, um, go <clears throat> is scored by points. Uh, so they just give bonus points to the player who goes second. Uh, something I think is really cool about that system is that, uh, it includes a half a point, which avoids ties. Uh, so I, th I think that's neat. <clears throat> One drawback to the system is that the advantage of going first is bigger the better you are at the game. Uh, so you need different 
handicaps to give the second player at different skill levels. I do think they have that kind of like statistically figured out with online play and everything these days. They kind of know what the handicap needs to be at different levels of play. Oh, but so that's there like, is a built-in different handicap number i think so yeah i i I think like if if you're not playing online if you don't know excuse me i think you just use the like the pro one or whatever Uh, i think it's 7.5 these days or something like that um but but yes i think that most of like the websites have different handicaps at different skill levels because it, it is an advantage to go first but the worse you are the less you can take advantage of that right. advantage um and the reason that this relates to taking multiple actions is because in in like the theory of abstract games one way of eliminating first player advantage that I, that i've heard of that sounds really interesting to me is um the idea of having everybody take two actions on their turn, and then on the first player's first turn, they only take one action. So then on every turn, you have taken exactly one action more than your opponent. That's interesting because a lot of board games actually do that. So like, or they do something like that. So Star Realms, you draw five cards every round. And if you go first in the game, you draw three cards that first turn. So it's saying, okay, you get first dibs at the market, but the penalty is you don't draw your full hand round one. And and that's definitely similar. Like like uh, I agree that a lot of games have something to to try to counteract uh, first player advantage. In in Mag- Magic does a really similar thing, uh, where if you go first, uh, you you don't draw on your first turn. Um, and I think it makes sense to try to counteract first player advantage a little bit. What feels different about that to me is that it's not uh, it's not hitting the cause of the first player advantage, right? It's like a different penalty in order to reduce the first player advantage. But the with the I get one move and then two moves, two moves, two moves, that is uh, addressing the <laughs> the cause of the first player advantage in the first place. Where I draw one less card is kind of like that's not that's that's not what was good about going first right. you know if that makes sense um and the so why this relates to food chain magnate is because as I, I was thinking about this i was like oh is this like could this be like a fix for first player advantage in like go like could you play go like this and um i haven't played like a full game like that but i, I after thinking it through a little bit I was like, okay, it's definitely a different game um, because uh, you know, one of the aspects of, of the game is that you you know you have your little groups of stones, and if they get fully surrounded, then they come off the board. And uh, if you need three free spaces around your guys to avoid them getting captured instead of in one move, instead of two spaces to avoid them getting captured in one move, like it, it completely changes the game. But beyond that. <clears throat> it seems like the main drawback would be w- what you were saying about like the mental space that you have to hold of, of like, I, I can kind of think through maybe what your one best move is, but if I have to figure out what your best move is after you take a move, that's like so much more mental work than these games already are. Right. It also seems like it would just make it crazy swingy on every turn because how do you prepare for all of that? You know, you can just do some ridiculous setups, especially in chess, where, you know, checkmate is a game end condition. Whereas, you know, like in Go, 
you can't just win the game on an early-ish turn, right? The game won't right. end on one of those turns. So, yeah, I think it would definitely be too swingy. Mm-hmm. So, so, so it's it's hard to apply retroactively, but I'm I'm still kind of fascinated by the idea of like if if a game were designed with this from the ground up, if it were meant to be played it, with two actions, um, could you could you have a kind of pure abstract game without first player advantage at all? Because uh, because I'm pretty sure every one that I've heard of or played has some kind of first player advantage. Right. It's it's interesting because it's tackled differently in so many board games. So like Ben in Tokyo Metro, you just get more money if you go later on the first turn, right? I think I got an extra 100 because I went second and you went first. Yes. And then I think, I think Brass Birmingham, the first person takes one action. And there are tons of games that just give out more money for later turn order. So mm-hmm. it's clearly a known issue in all of these games, but you can't have a game where no one goes first, I guess, right? Right. So it's just kind of a part of the system. Simultaneous Once. action selection. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, the the X-Wing miniatures game uh, has the pilots have initiative that, that determine the order that they get to move and fire in. Um, but then in terms of, of being the player, you choose what maneuvers each of your ships is going to do at the same time as your opponent and, and reveal them at the same time and then just go through them in the order of, of the initiative of the pilots. Um, so there's kind of no first player there, right? Hmm. That's an interesting way to do it too, because then you need to, I mean, you've decided what you want to do already and then the all of the like skill comes down to just reacting to the movements that the Mm -hmm. person chooses via initiative which is neat i like that and the other one that i was thinking of was uh uh, pendulum which i haven't played but it's a real time game so uh if you're playing in real time i don't know if there's a first player advantage or not we'll have to ask patrick one of the cool, uh, well, I'm on it. Uh, one of the cool aspects of the system in X-Wing is the fact that you've you've locked in all of your movement, um, so there can be like collisions and stuff. Because <laughs> if if because uh, you're not deciding where a ship moves without any other ships moving, and so it kind of simulates like the the chaos of everything happening at once. Like you go, okay, I'll turn here, but then they made a turn that you didn't expect, and and kaboom, kind of cool. Interesting. Yeah. I'd love to play some more of that game, but miniatures games are really expensive, and not every board game cafe has a whole bunch of Star Wars miniatures, so what are you going to do? I would give it a shot, but I've never played it before. But miniatures games sound fun. The the rules for for the X-Wings game uh, aren't, like the basic rules at least, aren't uh, aren't too complicated. Definitely one that you could just kind of try out. It's not an abstract game, though. <laughs> oh, right. We were talking about abstract games. <laughs> yes. Ben, what's your favorite abstract game, and why is it Hive? Uh, it's Hive. Or and... <laughs> Yes, it's Hive. It's Hive. It's specifically Hive Pocket, uh, and that is because it is a cute little game that fits in a nice little baggie, and you can take it with you. It was on the Travel Games episode that we, were, we had discussed uh, a few weeks back. And I love the like tactility 
of the pieces on top. And that's not it's not that I only like games because of either visual or tactile feedback. But I also like that each individual piece, similar to chess, has its own maneuver and you kind of need to work out the best combination of like placement timing and mm-hmm. movement of pieces to win the game. I also like that you can kind of mess yourself up and give your opponent an opening by like if you surround cuz the goal of Hive Hive is a two player strategy game where you are placing down like bug tiles that all have different abilities. And you are trying to surround your opponent's queen bee uh, while keeping your queen bee unsurrounded, I guess is the best way to say it. Um, But I like that you can mess yourself up by putting too many pieces around your own queen while you're trying to move. And then your opponent can just swoop in and use your own pieces to surround your queen as well. So you're not only paying attention to what I mean, I guess this is the point of like all abstract games, but you're not only paying attention to what your opponent is doing, but I think there's a lot of positioning and uh, kind of jockeying for position around your own queen. Um, Because if you like, for example, if some turn ends with you having your queen only open on one side, meaning you can lose the next turn, potentially, you can do something with your own pieces that can move away from, you know, that surrounding uh, maneuver, or you can move your own queen, which is cool too. Um, So it's kind of like the king in chess, but instead of trying to position it so that you can't move or you can't move the king anymore uh, without it getting like knocked out of the game, you're just trying to fully surround the king piece in this game. Uh, but mostly I really like that it's just it's pocketable. It's quick. It, I mean, I, this is what I like about all abstracts. They're they're easy to teach. They're fairly easy to teach, but it's this it's like trying to learn it and master it. I guess that's more difficult. Yeah. One thing that I think is really neat about Hive that makes it different from every other abstract game is that it is kind of free form. So, yep. you know, there are. I guess, technically invisible hex spaces where they all have to go. But there isn't really a defined board, which means, you know, when you start, you can just move this over to that spot or that over to this spot. And there's no board that you have to pay attention to. It's really just the pieces and where do they fit compared to the other pieces. There's no edge of the board you have to be aware of. There's no center of the board you have to take control of, kind of. You probably have to think about the center of where the pieces are. But it just feels different from the other abstract games by not having a board. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, another neat part involving that is that the one rule is the the one hive rule. So you can't break the hive at any point. Um, so if a move would separate a chunk of the tiles from the rest, you are not allowed to make that move. So you're you're also kind of constantly paying attention to like trying to I guess, maneuver your opponent into a position where their best move might break the hive so that they can't play that move as well, which is neat. But again, that's just a different strategy that someone like if I were to play Jamie, he might not play it that way. But sometimes when I'm playing it, I try and maneuver it so that my opponent will break the hive for one of their moves. And that 
negates that move entirely. There's just so many ways to play it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, um, I think that the Hive community calls that pinning uh, when you kind of trap a piece so that it, it can't move without breaking the Hive. And uh, something that's fascinating to me about Hive is that as far as I know, the person who designed it, their kind of inspiration was uh, what would chess look like if it didn't have a board? Uh, and and they came up with this idea of the pieces themselves kind of forming the board in in the form of the hive, and uh, two al- almost knockoff effects of that, I guess, is that it inverts chess in in a couple interesting ways, and and the pinning is one of them. There's no capturing in hive; uh, bugs never come off the board. So the best you can do is temporarily put a bug in a position where it can't move, but it will almost definitely like if if they try, they can get the bug out in two or three moves max um so there's kind of more fluidity to it in a way you can just say okay that that piece is scaring me right now so i'm going to kind of trap it for a second but you can't eliminate the threat um and so, so that keeps the game like very dynamic into the late game and it also flips um you know, you start with all your chess pieces on the board, and then there are captures and captures and captures. And as you get into the end game, the game simplifies. Um, there are just fewer pieces on the board. And Hive is the exact opposite, because you're placing bugs as you go, and they never come off. Um, so right, so the that's... The board gets busier and busier. Yeah, exactly. Or so that's really interesting to me that... Uh, <laughs> right. Oh my god. The, in, in, you know, he, he is... Like I said, as far as I know, he was basically trying to make chess but different um but he actually wound up kind of flipping a couple of these like core ways that chess works which is kind of interesting yeah and i i guess just going back into um how you were talking about like first player advantage earlier i'm trying to think and i i honestly i haven't played enough abstract games to notice like a first player advantage like i also haven't played with people skilled enough to take advantage of it I'm sure that there is a first player advantage in Hive, but for me, the fact that the first couple moves are placing pieces down on the board in whatever manner you want, as long as your queen is placed within the first four actions, I believe, to me kind of potentially helps negate a bit of the first player advantage because until you place... Like you could you could be the first player, but until your opponent places their queen down, you're not really moving pieces to try and capture. So I think it changes a bit of that first player dynamic, for mm. me at least. Right, and those placements that you're doing could be just kind of like treading water and not making moves towards winning the game. It's just yeah. you know setting something up. It's not getting a better position like you might do in chess. Yeah. So the the placing the queen in the first four moves thing is uh, really interesting to me, at least, because um, one of the things that I love about abstract games is the simplicity of the rules. You you kind of mentioned that earlier, how easy it is to teach generally, but then that the simple rule set has just this huge depth of strategy that that it enables. Maybe that's the defining thing of abstract games. Yeah. Um, 
And 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 so because that's something I value, every time there's a rule in an abstract game that feels like superfluous to me, I just it's like a, it's like a mind thorn. And uh, needing to play uh, to play the queen in the first four moves is is one of those. They apparently added that because people who were new to the game, like as they were playtesting it, people who were new to the game were like, "Oh, you lose if your queen gets surrounded. Great, I just won't place my queen." And that's not an advantageous thing to do it turns out that it's advantageous to play your queen as early as possible but it was creating this negative play pattern so they basically like rules duct taped it by saying you have to play your queen on the first four um in the first four turns and so now that rule is just there unnecessarily (laughs) taunting me and the the flip side of this is that they have a special rule that only exists in tournament play where you are not allowed to play your queen as your first move because it's advantageous advantageous to play it as early as possible. In tournaments, people would go queen, queen, and then if the queens are touching, the odds of a uh, of a draw go through the roof. Um, hmm. So, so a, a draw in hive is would be when you make one move that closes the that covers the last gap that both queens had in one move. So obviously, when they're touching, that situation is going to come up a lot more. And it was uh, so yeah. So players both playing their queen first was making hive very draw e. So they reverse rules hacked the, <laughs> the 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 game and said okay so you have to play in the first four moves but you can't play it as your first move and that's the that's the tournament rule now which creates positive play patterns but is just so ugly <laughs> that i can't right. stand it yeah that's true it's not a very elegant uh yeah rule set for a tournament but when you play I feel like the game itself kind of takes over, yeah. but that's interesting. I've never, I've never heard that, but I also don't look that, and I've never looked that in depth into Hive. I just kind of yeah. played it with my dad a couple times, and he sucked. So, <laughs> Actually, so also the beauty of bad. abstract games, by the way, with these simple rules and you know infinite possibilities, you can always just pick up the game, teach it to someone in a minute or two, and play. And it's, mm-hmm. it's really great for that. I think that's why they've lasted this long and continue to be made. Absolutely. Have, uh, does that mean, Ben, that you haven't uh, played with uh, any of the expansions? Uh, so I I own, I think, what, there's the two. There's the Mosquito and the... the Pillbug, I think. Pillbug. Pillbug. Yeah, I own them. And I've played with, I think I've only played with the Mosquito thus far. Um but not much. I haven't okay. played much. And I haven't played Hive a ton. I've probably played chess more than I've played Hive, but yeah. I prefer Hive to chess. I've only played Hive once. I, I really need to play it again, but I just have not had the opportunity. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the best part about it, I mean, the best part about it, about it for me is specifically Hive Pocket. It was just the travel bit because we were, we were on vacation, my dad and I, and I brought this little game in a, in a little pouch and we're sitting on the beach i guess and we just put it on like the lounge chair and like there's no board like jonah said Mm -hmm. you just and these pieces are like these heavy little like mahjong mahjong style acrylic pieces they're not going to get blown away so it kind of like nothing was blowing these pieces Mm -hmm. away you could play anywhere it's great so you just gotta you gotta keep in mind that if you if you morph the hive and you go larger than the the play surface that's where you're going to have a problem play but on the sand yeah it's difficult to get that large but yeah you can play on the sand you could take this to the beach play in the sand uh and then you just 
wash the pieces off. It's cool. Yeah. I just um, really quickly, I just want to interject because I know Ashley's going to listen to this. I beat her at sequence twice earlier this week, and I just, I needed to say that. (laughs) I've been holding on to it for my games played this week. I beat her at sequence twice. Jamie, do you know sequence? Uh, No. Do you remember? This is. I half told this story on a previous episode. Do you remember that one time in Korea when people came over to Jessica and I's place and Dick brought over the big board of like playing cards set up? That is sequence. Oh. I think. uh, He was saying something else. He was talking about. Right. I don't even remember. His wife's family knew it as something, or he knew it as something from the Midwest, but yeah. Okay. Sequence. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, I just, I'm sorry. I just really needed to, I needed to get out that I won a game. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. That was a second applause. We can go back to the, we can go back to the abstracts now. I just, I needed to say that. Congratulations. So the, the pill bug uh, is another, uh ugly rules hack and i guess i'll call it that's why it, it's an expansion yeah yeah fair enough i i mean i i have played more hive than ben but i am by no means like <laughs> good at like, like like this is like, this is a game that has had at least like a tournament scene right so so there's there's heights to be reached here and uh and and i'm i'm at the bottom of the tower um you're but, just a worker bee I'm I'm just I'm just a little worker bee, an ant, um, if you will. <laughs> but f- from from what I've heard from people who get really into it, is that the pill bug does kind of um, they like the game a lot better with it than than without it, because so so what the pill bug does is it can move one space at a time just like the queen or it can flip a piece that's next to it either your piece or an opponent's piece to any other space next to it um and part of why that's important is to um give your queen a little bit of extra mobility it can be very very uh in our early games of Hive, they were basically races. Uh, we would both pin each other's queens, and then it was who can finish, <laughs> you know, building the wall around the queen first. And uh, with the pill bug, as soon as your queen gets pinned, you put the pill bug next to your queen, and now they have to figure they have to trap either the pill bug or the queen with a beetle in order to actually be able to just pile on. Um, so it makes the games a little bit longer, and it feels to us at our level at least like it prevents every game from being a simple race and it kind of introduces an element of like i don't know it it makes it like a little more strategic so that feels really desirable but the rules with the pill bug are so 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 bad they're like you can't flip a piece that was just moved once the pill bug flips a piece that piece can't be moved on the next turn uh it can't flip a piece that's a part of a stack uh, and this is my favorite one. The so th- there's a rule where pieces can't. Um, it, it's hexagons. So if there are two pieces with a little gap between them, a lot of pieces can't uh, slip between that little gap. The ant and the spider need like open spaces to move in. So the pill bug follows that rule when it's flipping a piece. <laughs> but it's like this awful corner case b- because it counts. 
you know, pieces that are on top of the hive. So if there's a beetle next to another beetle, you couldn't flip something through the gap between the beetles, if that makes sense. And and that's just like that's too much to keep track of. That's ridiculous. Um, and they needed to put all these rules in for the for the pill bug to work. And the pill bug is a really important piece. But it's like, and 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 this is this is another way. This is my soapbox for the day. This is one of my topics. It's like I have patch notes for Hive. I have patch notes for chess. Uh, I'm going to fix these games that people much smarter than me and with much more experience designing games than me have created. <laughs> We're going to do it. So yeah, so thing one with Hive, the pill bug, that's, that's not working. That's too hard to learn. That's got to change. I don't have any ideas for that. But um, it just has to go. But it, 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 it's got to go. It, it, Delenda est. Um, but but I, I have more concrete ideas for chess, and, th- and that's why that segued for me is like the uh, the pillbug rules are ridiculous, and there are a few things like that in chess: um, castling, and double pawn moves, and en passant. It's like one. yeah, en passant is like a corner case. I was I was just gonna say you're so good at segues, you should start giving tours around the city. <laughs> hey. Bad I joke, I do podcast today, guys. I do give tours at my job. I work at a museum, and a uh, <laughs> that that would be a lot of fun. I would love to get a segue. But yeah, I I I am surprised every time I transition on the podcast. I'm like, here's my transition. But uh, that's actually like a huge part of, of so putting tours together. It. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, patch notes for chess. Pat- is weird. No one knows why it happens. Why is it added to the game? New players are always angry when it happens to them. Well, we we know <laughs> why it, why it was added to the game. What right what is was it? in the 18th century, 19th century. I'm not even sure. It must have been the 18th century. They were like, oh, the, you know, uh, pawns could only move forward one space at a time. And they were like, well, it takes too long for the game to get rolling. We want to get into the action right away, whatever. Let's let them move two spaces forward on the first move so that we can kind of get into the action. Get to the good stuff. Exactly. And uh, and I think that this had a couple negative side effects that they failed to foresee. And now it's just locked into the game forever. Uh, and, and one of them is it necessitated the creation of en passant. Because uh, if, if you have a pawn right up there, if pawns can only move forward one space, then it moves forward and now you can do a normal pawn capture. But if the pawn can move forward two spaces, it's like skipped it escapes being in danger. danger. Yeah, exactly. So they were like, oh, well, th- this is obviously unacceptable. So they create the rule of en passant to, to get around that. Just to illustrate it semi-clearly for listeners, uh, if you know how a knight moves, it's two spaces forward or backward and or side to side, and then one space orthogonally. So two up, one left, or two up, one right, or two left, one up, two left, one down, etc. So if you have a pawn where it starts, and there is an opposing pawn, a knight move forward away. So two up and one over. If you want to move your pawn two spaces forwards, it would then be directly adjacent to that opposing pawn. If you do this double move to then be adjacent to the opposing pawn, you skip the spot that the opposing pawn can capture. And as Jamie is saying, en passant lets that pawn capture your pawn Mm -hmm. it it has to be there the rule has to be there so that the double pawn move doesn't let you skip 
the th- skip your opponent's pawn line you know that that it that it really <laughs> mess with the game um but but it only has to be there because the double pawn move is a thing in the first place and and the double pawn move is you know i, I think i mentioned when i was on the podcast before i for a while i was teaching chess to elementary schoolers and the double pawn move itself like let alone en passant let alone anything else the fact that pawns move forward one space capture one space forward diagonally and on their first move but their first move only can move forward two spaces directly forward uh if if you feel like it it's just um it's just too much um i i and you know we would see how slow and boring i guess chess games would get um (laughs) without the double pawn move and actually changing the rules would destroy centuries of of study of opening theory uh which for for some people that's probably desirable for the people who've dedicated their lives to chess that's probably less desirable um so patch note one remove the pawns (laughs) patch note one no more double pawn (laughs) because that that also gets rid of en passant i think that would make the game a lot easier to teach i think it would make it a lot more intuitive it would make the rule set more streamlined which for me just from like a purely like aesthetic point of view is desirable uh no more double pawn move um what's the what's the other one in chess oh uh, check well cast castling is difficult because castling is hard to learn but i can't think of a of a kind of a better way of doing it you know what right. I mean? I, I do think it improves the game, kind of similar to how the pill bug does. And then it's a little messy, but it's like maybe we just tolerate that one. The, right, it's the, messy with the difference castling kingside or queenside because moving yeah. two spaces and then a rook moves three or two and then the rook yeah. moves four. I think the it, you know it, it, it's funny. It's hard to teach these two people but but when you know the history of it it like becomes a little more intuitive almost like if you just teach if you teach someone strictly how en passant works and what the rules are with en passant it's very confusing but if you look at it as a fix for the problem with double pawn moves then all of a sudden it's very intuitive right it's like oh if you couldn't move your pawn forward two spaces i would have been able to capture you so i should still be able to capture you uh and similarly with uh with castling rather than thinking of the number of of spaces that the rook moves in uh, some older versions of chess, kings were allowed one hop move over another piece. Um, oh, I see. Basically, so to king hops. exactly that we don't do it that way now. Now we move the king over two spaces and the rook to the other side of the king. Um, but originally, it was move the rook up to the king and hop the king over. That was kind of their rules hack in order to, and I, and I'm going to call it that. Like it's just part of the rules, but it it violates like the right, <laughs> the elegant simplicity exactly yeah there are like there are these principles uh that 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 we should stick to um so so castling i don't see a clean way around that but i really do not like um check and checkmate and this is another one that i you know because i've read about this a little bit i'm like i can't be the first person in the world to think like chess would be easier to learn if it it were different or whatever like what would happen if we change these chess rules and when i've googled it the the justifications for checkmate that i read just really get my goat um you know people chess is one of those games 
chess to me is a game. I play board games. Chess is one of them, like whatever, right? Um, and I analyze it as a game. But it's also this just like cultural monolith. And, uh, and so people get very up their own butts about it. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, put and, to, to, to put it simply, and and so so checkmate is one of those things where I'm like the, the way I see it, when you're teaching someone chess, uh, capturing is one of the first things that you learn. If you move a piece onto where another piece is, their piece comes off the board. Bada boom. So the win condition for chess could be capture the enemy king, right? It would be it would be. There would be a couple rules changes, but it'd be almost the same game, and you wouldn't have to explain all this nonsense about check and checkmate, right? It'd just be just capture the king. But instead, it's threaten the king, tell everyone that every other move they want to do is illegal. Right. Go go through all the mental math to get, oh, there's nowhere you can go, you have no interposition, do-do-do-do. I mean, people who, who are used to it, it doesn't have to be as explicit as that. But um, but yeah, it, it just it just feels messy. And uh, a surprisingly common justification that I've seen for Checkmate is that it's uh, somehow gentlemanly. That, um, it, it, that, that when you Checkmate someone, you feel like you're in like a, a fencing duel and you've disarmed them and you have your, your sword at their throat, but you don't kill them because you're you're classier than that or whatever and that's just like dude (laughs) like for me like if you're choosing between feeling like a fencing gentleman and like having a clean rule set like take the clean rule set right (laughs) but that's just me uh (laughs) and that and yeah and that is just chess some of the some of the culture around chess is is gross but Are we don't have talk to talk about fianchettoing next we don't have that, to get into that, that too far <laughs> no that's just you know it, like <laughs> that's just a move having having all these european names for things it's like you know it's harder <laughs> for new players yeah yeah but you you also don't have to address it un- unless you're diving into it where like you don't know the rules of chess unless you know en passant and unless you understand checkmate you can't play a legal game of chess without having that stuff where knowing the names of the openings and understanding that the specific bishop move is called fianchettoing because because an Italian popularized the idea <laughs> 300 years ago, like you don't have to know that in order to enjoy the game. And, and that's what I mean about I enjoy chess as a game. Um, and then there's kind of this culture around it that is a little <laughs> bewildering to me. I don't think I've ever played a game of chess with this en passant rule. I mean, yeah, I mean, it doesn't come up a ton. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, ge- I genuinely don't think I've ever. I've always double moved my pawns, but I don't think I ever knew that if you moved up to an adjacent spot and passed that, you could then pop could over and still capture. Yeah. yeah, I never knew that was a thing. I don't think I've ever played with that. It's a but I also haven't played just that much. Little known game, little known rule in a game that is thousands of years old. You'd think by now it would be an introductory rule, like yeah. when you're learning the game, this is something that can happen. Yeah. But no, it's you know 20 years into your life of playing this <laughs> casual game. It's oh crap, that can happen. Yeah, I, it, I mean I'm reading all of these terms you're you're saying because I again don't play chess that much, so like <laughs> I didn't know what you were saying when you said the uh, fianchetto. Or is that how you pronounce it? I it's think so. either it's both. I literally had no idea what you said. I mean, I was so throwing I it out to be obtuse on purpose. So. No, yeah. I know, but I literally typed 
uh, via feto chess into Google, and it said, "Did, did you find mean, it? Did you mean Vigo feta cheese?" But then, it, <laughs> then the first, then the first suggestion was the correct spelling. So, oh, that's I wonderful. Was like, are you talking about cheese, not chess cheese? But yeah, I'm reading it now. So this is I, I'm learning so many new things. At the the experience of not understanding en passant and and being surprised by getting your pawn captured is common enough that um, there's a chess memes subreddit that me and Jonah enjoy, and one of the one of the most common jokes on there is people pretending to to be people confused and annoyed by the rule. You know, people are like I think there's a bug on chess.com, like well, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, so. Okay, so so just capture the enemy king. Uh, I've I've got a little bit more to say about this. Uh, one of the one of the changes that this would make is um, it would reduce. I don't think it would eliminate stalemate, but it would reduce the instances where stalemate happens. Um, king takes king. Love it. <laughs> yeah, you you could put your king it, it, right now. You can't put your king onto a spot where it could be captured. It's just an illegal move, which that in itself, I think is kind of terrible. I I was telling Jonah just yesterday when I was teaching the kids, they really struggled to play legal games because they would just have a situation where the king is in check and it would stay that way for 10 moves. And officially that's that's an illegal board state. They are supposed to rewind to to before that was the case and and go forward playing legally. Why not just have it be, that's fine, the king can be captured, and neither of you have noticed that the king can be captured. And and that's just, you know, you're just that you're just at that level of the game. Why do we have to like put this floor on it and be like, you're not actually playing the game until you notice every single time the king is in check. Right? Right, yeah. And also just the you're saying the king can't move somewhere where it can be captured, but a king can't capture another king, and yet also a king can't move next to the other king. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not a spot that's in check or can be captured. It's just a, a rule. It's not allowed to go there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's... Yeah, so so that feels ugly to me, like I say. And and again, similar to the checkmate thing with I want to feel like I'm a, I'm a fencer. With stale... People are like weirdly attached to stalemate in my mind a tie is not a desirable outcome for a competitive game right you want to minimize the amount of ties that exist i mean like i was saying in go they give you (laughs) fair in go they they put the half point in there to avoid ties i think that's great and um and and there's this romance around stalemates they're like oh well if you're behind you can still like play for the stalemate and all that kind of stuff and it's like cool man but the 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 rates of ties at high levels of competition are very high and i don't think that's desirable and maybe that wouldn't change if they played with baby rules and made it so you just capture the king but it but it would eliminate some of these instances of like you know you're you're completely overwhelmed in material and you find something sneaky to do and you know and you're very clever and everyone claps but you're playing a competitive game and and you made a tie out of like a completely lost situation right. and that's a win for that person to make a tie right. out of a loss right as a completely amateur mediocre chess player it kind of sounds nice to just have a regular king capture because yeah. then if you mess i mean if you mess it up you're an idiot and you messed it up and yeah, just lost, and that's yeah. it. And and you in your development as a player, you would reach a point where 
you're playing according to what are now the official rules, right? You just, you would see where your king is in danger, so you just never would move your king into check, rather than having a rule that says you may not move your king into check, right? It, it's, it's a bizarre, <laughs> it's a bizarre system. I, 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 my guess is that someone back in the day was playing with someone of a higher social class than them, <laughs> and, and they were surprised by getting their king captured, and they were like, okay, well, here's what we'll do. Wait, you know, when you're in danger, we'll say check, and we'll make it so that every time you move into check, I'll go, oh, no, no, that's against the rules. <laughs> it's not that you're a big, dumb yes, idiot who isn't good at the game yet. <laughs> like, excuse me, please, we must be proper about this i i don't want to win because you i do want to win because you messed up because that's the only way to, <laughs> to win chess is to make fewer mistakes than your opponent so i do want to win because you messed up but i don't want to win because you messed up that badly it, it, it's a it's it a bizarre a calibrated of <laughs> yeah yeah exactly it, it just feels weird to me but like i say there's hundreds of years of study of this game built up by now. And so this stuff is just like fossilized in and you could never, people make up their own chess variants all the time. The chess variants are also the best part of chess. Mm. Bug house is the best. <laughs> so uh, bug house is a uh, four player version of chess that, that's very popular where uh, you have a teammate and uh, one member of the team plays white and one member of the team plays black on separate so there's like two parallel games going and then whenever you make a capture you get to hand that piece over to your opponent and one of their legal moves is to plop that new piece down on the board somewhere um, it's and wonderful it, it's yeah it's it's a madhouse it encourages you to play quickly so that you are like producing material for your uh, for your teammates game um it's chaotic i've only played a couple times and i'm not good at chess so there was a lot of yelling at me i, I felt <laughs> and, and i took that personally <laughs> but uh but yeah it's, it's an interesting one something that's kind of cool about that is um shogi the the japanese version right. of chess has that as an inherent rule Rather than having black pieces and white pieces, the pieces are wedge-shaped, and you tell which team they're on based on which direction they're pointing. Uh, and so they just have that rule built in, where after you capture a piece, one of the things you can do is turn it around, reor reorient it, and plop it back down on the board. Kind of interesting. You, uh, the pieces are differentiated by the uh, kanji that are written right, the on them. On it. Mm -hmm. They're all the I same wedge shape. I'm learning about so many new games that I've never heard of. Jamie and I are well-versed in the strange abstract yeah ha, have i brought up uh 4d chess with multiverse uh time travel i know it before okay so you haven't, brought it, up what? haven't brought it up on the podcast check it out okay if this if this was not a family-friendly show i would have some more about <laughs> what you're talking about so what, like what are you heckin' talking about <laughs> The, the world of chess variants is like, is like so broad and fascinating. And when I'm telling, when I'm kind of introducing people to, hey, chess isn't just the, the, the game that you played once because <laughs> someone you knew was into it and you hated it and never played it again. There's like and other stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. Because... Your uncle ampasaned you and you, <laughs> you flipped the board and <laughs> vowed never to play chess again. There's other stuff going on. You can, you can have fun with chess. So, hey, um, so 40 chess with multiverse time. 40 chess with multiverse theory. I think I think that's the full title. So what this is, this is a digital only version of chess. Um, I think it's like 15 bucks on Steam. Unfortunately, I'm not sure 
where else it's available. So what it does is you have a normal kind of digital chessboard. You take normal moves, but every time you take a move, it saves the board state. So you have the whole history of the game uh, in a timeline behind you. And one of the moves that you can take, instead of moving a piece normally, is to send a piece back in time. to a previous board state. And that creates a branching timeline. So now you have your original timeline with that piece missing, and you have an alternative timeline where that piece has arrived and there's an extra rook or whatever in this timeline. And that t- in that timeline as well, in every timeline, you can send pieces back in time and create a new branching path. I and I, Ben's I, brain <laughs> right now. I, I believe, I haven't had a chance to play yet, but I sure would love to. I believe how it works is that on your turn, you take a, a move in each timeline that exists. And if you ever get checkmated in any timeline, you lose. A fun thing that I do know <laughs> is that uh, you can have multiple, you can time travel the kings. So one timeline could have two three, four kings that could be checkmated. You can have timelines without kings in which you cannot lose. Uh, like, just all kinds of nonsense. When we were talking about, like, oh, you, you can't take two moves and go because that's too much of, like, a headspace to figure out. 40 chess with multiverse theory sounds like the kind of thing where it's, like, it's just way too much to ever wrap your head around, so don't even try. But it still sounds, like, really fun to, to mess with. It, it just sounds like a complete mind flip. So I found fa- I found it on Steam, by the way. Mm. So my mind was breaking. Uh, well, the reviews are overwhelmingly positive. Heck um, yeah! It's also called Five D Chess with Multiverse oh, Time Travel. Excuse me, not enough to mention. Uh, and the the top the top most helpful review is that the psychological horror tag is an understatement. <laughs> Help. <laughs> I mean, yeah, just the I've, I've just the that. initial video clip that auto plays on Steam looks outrageous. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. <laughs> neat. It's, it looks neat though, and it's also twelve bucks. In case you were wondering. Oh, great! Yeah, I, looks mean, neat. I mean, yeah, looks neat. All right, so we've done chess. We've done Hive. Uh, for five seconds, I'm going to say Santorini is a great abstract game. If you play without the god powers, it is an abstract game. With the god powers, it is not an abstract game, but I also prefer it with the god powers. I think there's some really cool stuff in there. We talked about that before, though. Checkers, everyone knows. Checkers 2000, then loves and is the winner at. All uh, the time. I want to, uh, Jamie, I assume you want to talk about Go a little bit. Yeah. But before you do that, I want to talk about this mad project of abstract games very briefly that you and i played two of last night so it's this thing called the gif project or the gif project it's gonna enter into the uh gif gif debate probably but the project is all caps just like uh, mf doom gipf project and the games in this project are yinsh y-i-n-s-h tsar T-Z-A-A-R, Dvon, D-V-O-N-N, Punct, P-U-N-C-T, no Ashton Kutcher on that one, Zertz, Z-E-R-T-Z, and Link, L-Y-N-G-K. And these are all abstract games by the same designer uh, under this umbrella of the GIF project. That was the first game of the series, I guess, G-I-P-F. And they all use rings, and lines and 
dots, I guess is what I should say. Um, they're all really interesting, and I really do want to play all of them. So Jamie and I actually played Yinch and Devon last night. So I will describe Yinch really quickly. Yinch is a game that each player has five rings, and the map is this like strange hexagon with like little it's like it's kind of like a star of david i don't know with vertices everywhere it's just made up of a bunch of triangles and honestly just google this map i could never describe what it looks like but y-i-n-s-h and anyway the game starts out and you put these rings on the board and it's just a bunch of you know triangles with vertices so you put it on a vertex somewhere and you take turns placing your rings and then after you place your ring your, all of your rings, you take turns playing, and on your turn you put a disc inside your ring, That it, and you'll either put it white if you're white, playing as white, and black if you're playing as black, and then you move that ring anywhere in a straight line as far as you'd like until you want to stop. So you can move it one space over, three spaces over, five spaces over. You can't move it through any other rings, but interestingly enough, you can hop over the discs that are on these vertices. And if you hop over discs, you can hop over as many discs as you like as long as they're connected. So you can't do like a double jump like in checkers. But if there are four pieces in a row, you can jump over that entire uh, segment and put the ring on the other side of that. And when you jump over these pieces, you flip each piece that you jumped over to the other side black on one side white on the other you don't flip them to your side you flip all the pieces you jump over to the other side for each one and the goal is to get five discs in a row of your color and when you get five discs in a row of your color you remove all five of those discs from the board and one of your rings so you now have fewer pieces to move and the goal is to remove three of your rings first. That ends the game and you win. And that's the whole game. Hmm. I, If you saw a set of Yinch, you could play it based on that explanation I just mm -hmm. gave, if, if it made sense, of course. Um, but Jamie and I played this last night. It plays in like 10 or 15 minutes. And there are a lot of really interesting things going on. Mm-hmm. It it definitely hits. It's the 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 stuff we were saying early on. You know the the simple elegant rules. Uh, two players. I I get one move. You get one move. And it and it's it's very. I've played it once, but it really feels to me like one that just has like a lot of depth to it. So it, it feels like uh, a quintessentially an abstract game. I enjoyed it a lot. I I, I want to play that more <laughs> yeah it's really cool there's there's blocking that you can do because you can if you have your ring just on the opposite side of this set of discs from the opponent's ring as long as you don't move that ring the opponent's ring can't make that hop and change a bunch of discs so there's some blocking involved with the rings and then there's the fact that when you are doing well and you remove the five discs you have to remove one of your rings and now you have fewer pieces to move than your opponent so it's kind of like a built-in catch-up mechanic to level the playing field. 
but then if you're still doing well, you might have a two-ring uh, disadvantage over the other player, and then it's going to get even harder to make the flips that you need to win. Uh-huh. Sounds very neat. Yeah, it's I'm, really cool. I'm, I'm also looking at it, and visually it, it, it definitely looks different and cool as well. Yeah, it's a really neat game, and it's really cheap right now. I was really surprised. I looked it up. It's like 24 bucks, which is not bad. Hmm. Uh, the other game that we played from this project was Devon. Devon is this game that is... Uh, what shape is the board? If you have a rectangle and you put two equilateral triangles on the sides of that rectangle, if you're looking at it the way everyone should look at a rectangle, the long way, like the horizon, horizontally. Anyway, if you put two triangles, if you put a triangle on each edge of a rectangle, that is the shape of the board of Dvan. And there are a bunch of spots for your rings in Dvan. And what you do is you take a piece and you move it. If it is one piece, you move it one spot. And then if it's a stack of two pieces, you move it two spots. It has to go in a straight line. And what's interesting about this one is there are these three red pieces in this game. And those are the life pieces or whatever. I think they're called the Devon pieces. And if at any point the there are pieces on the board that cannot trace a line through all the other pieces to one of these red pieces, those get totally removed. So when you pick up a piece and move it somewhere else, you of course leave an empty space. As you get more and more empty spaces, the board kind of falls apart. And if you have an empty space line carving out some pieces so they can no longer connect to a red piece, all of those pieces get taken off the board. And what's really interesting is you can capture or you can put your piece on top of the red piece and then you can control where the life piece connects to the other ones by moving it away. And whichever disc is on top of the stack is the owner of the stack. And at the end of the game, you just play until there are no more legal moves, which is really interesting. So you just play until you can't. And then at that point, whoever's stacks are higher, you just add all your stacks together. Whichever stack is higher, that player wins. So it it was really interesting. Do you stack by moving in that straight line and moving on to another piece? Is it... Yeah. Okay, so it's just very, that easy. You just move in, in a straight line and you end up stacking. Right. But if you So if you have a stack of four and you move it, it has to be in a straight line and it has to be four spots. If you move it four spots somewhere, but you see that your opponent has a single disc right next to it, you don't want to do that because then their one disc can just take over that whole stack. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's... It's definitely an interesting one. Yinch felt more intuitive to me. Devon was cool. The the only part of Devon that really felt intuitive to me was the life discs. Um, I thought that was cool because that was a concept that I felt like I hadn't really played with before but it was like very easy to grasp right like there's there's these islands and each island has a red piece and if you're ever cut off from the island that has the red piece then 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 you go away it 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 feels like um i don't know 
like at the end of Mass Effect Two, you have to stay in the little in the little bubble that the psychic is like creating to ward off the bugs or whatever. Like it, it, it just like clicks in some kind of way. You you have the safe zone and the danger zone. You want to stay in the safe zone, um, and and something that that that, that reminds me of is um, from what I've been able to see, it seems like there are only so many ideas or well not ideas (laughs) that's cruel um so many only so many win conditions and only so many mechanics in abstract games right or or i guess especially win conditions you've got the um the capture the king types like chess and hive uh you've got connect however many connect five connect four uh yinch falls into that category pente literally connect four um blobbing things or spreading things and making a path from one place to another are kind of common like things to be doing in an abstract game um and and there's and there's just tons of them um because i guess because you don't need like all sorts of crazy materials and everything you, you you can create your own abstract game with like a checkerboard or whatever um there's lots of amateur designed abstract games out there but they kind of tend to fall into these broad categories so uh so seeing something like the life discs in devon i actually kind of like raises your eyebrows <laughs> you're like right. oh <laughs> wow <Something new. laughs> yeah 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 that's kind of interesting yeah but i want to play tsar sometime because tsar and yinch are the highest rated ones of the mm. gif gif whatever project so we'll do that, and we'll do a deep dive on all those nonsense games. Yes, later on. Very much looking forward to that. We should we should play some tic tac toe. Yeah, that's another. <laughs> one. That's definitely an abstract. That is an abstract. Mm-hmm. So, i I've been thinking about it. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking about it. I, I actually don't think I have a lot to say about Go. I, I think my all I'll say about Go is a lot of people find it intimidating and uh and that's totally fair <laughs> jonah, jonah finds it intimidating i find and, it boring to be honest mm. which i feel bad about mainly because the first time i played it it was on a 19 by 19 and i'm just like what the hell am i supposed yeah. to do for the first hour and a half no that's insane and and you know that's a, i think that's a similar experience that a lot of people have with chess right is so a selling point that we've been talking about with abstracts is you can teach someone in in just a couple minutes and then they know all the rules and now they can play the game. Uh, but I think that's not a hundred percent true, especially if you are familiar with the game and some of the strategy. If you just teach someone the rules, you're not going to have an interesting game because uh, someone you know you teach someone how to play chess and you're like, hey, you know how all the pieces move. You can take legal moves now. If they don't have a basis for their decision making they're they're not playing a game they're not having fun um and and that comes up with people really really badly in go i think where there there's no way to evaluate a move you've got this big empty board and you could put a stone on any intersection you want and you can't tell the difference between putting it on one intersection or another intersection so you don't feel like you're making meaningful decisions this was our whole fuzziness conversation from the last time i was on the show ben do you have you played go do you know how it works can you imagine a Go set in your head? I mean, it's I, just I mean, graph I, paper. Visually, I know what Go looks like, and I've seen Go, and I'm I'm listening and seeing how Go is played at the same time. Um, 
the but I've never played Go. Jamie, you wanna explain the two rules of Go since everyone always tells me there are only two rules in the game. <laughs> yeah. It, it it does have a couple rules hacks. Uh, I, I think it's the cleanest rule set probably out there, but it does have a couple rules hacks. Um, so it's played on a grid. Um, the kind of the classic one is a 19 by 19 kind of um, lines. Um, and one player has white stones and one player has black stones, and they take turns placing stones on intersections. And kind of the main rule is that uh, a group of your stones always has to have at least one liberty, which means an intersection that's next to one of your stones that isn't occupied by another stone. Uh, so as soon as a group of your, so functionally what that means is as soon as a group of your stones is completely surrounded either by your enemy's stones or by the edge of the board, your stones come off. Um, and the goal of the game is to have empty intersections in your own territory to have a border of your stones that contains empty intersections um the game it's area control <laughs> yeah in a way uh so so you take turns placing stones uh instead unlike chess instead of placing a stone you can pass and the game ends when both players decide to pass in a row um, <laughs> because they they neither of them can see a way to profitably play anymore uh, and at that point you remove any stones that are kind of mutually agreed to functionally be dead and uh count up the the intersections i'm sorry the empty intersections in your territory i guess the, the last piece is that any stones of yours that your opponent captured are negative points for you uh, so a, a lot of times the way that people will count that is they'll put the captured stones into your territory to kind of fill it up and you know plus one minus one um yeah uh, it's 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 a very very simple rule set, but the <laughs> it's an abstract, so it has a simple rule set and a lot of depth. And the negative side of having all that depth is that it can be kind of unapproachable. One thing that I think is really important to note about Go, just to talk about how abstract it is, uh, computers beat humans at go for the first time ever i think last year or two years ago in the last two years was the first time that a computer has ever beaten a high level professional like number one in the world go player whereas deep blue the computer beat was it kasparov oh who it was but it was yeah. like 1985 so our computing power in 1985 was strong enough to beat chess players forever. But it wasn't right. until last year or two years ago that people were able to make a computer program that could beat a pro at Go because there is just too much going on. Right. <laughs> too much and, going on. <laughs> and I think for people like us, I, I think, maybe, well, you find it boring, <laughs> and that's fair. Um, but I, I think part of what makes chess a little more approachable is kind of the same thing that let computers be good at it in the 80s um is that there are moves <laughs> what like 32 legal first moves and most of those are pawn moves that you would never ever ever want to take so so there, there's like a very narrow range of like reasonable early moves and you study opening theory um and that narrows things down even further and in the middle game, you get into kind of the the open space, but it's never that open. 
and uh, something I, <laughs> something I read in one of the very few Go books that I've read that I, that I kind of resonated with was he was saying, you know, he it was a professional Go player, and he was saying he had played chess also, and a lot, a lot of people enjoy both. And he was saying part of why he preferred Go was that he felt like chess was pure tactics and pure calculation, right? There, there's such a limited number of moves, what's the best move here? And that the possibilities are so wide and open in Go, especially in the early, it kind of narrows down as you play and as the board fills up, but especially in the early stages, it's so open and, and abstract, like you said, that it taps into a different part of your brain where you're not calculating and it's not about tactics it's more about like visual kind of um he called it creativity basically he's right. like rather than calculating you're kind of loosely fuzzily trying to use your foresight and trying to trying to create a situation that will be favorable to you later in a way that's really hard for us to like pin down exactly and, and apparently really difficult for computers to pin down as well Right, yeah, the program I think is called AlphaGo. I know there was a documentary on it a year or two ago, and I didn't watch the documentary. I just remember reading about this a few years ago. But when they were making this computer program, you know, it's just like an AI that they said, play yourself in Go millions of times. And there is a very common saying in Go, and in chess, but mainly in Go, and it's if you want to get good at Go, you have to lose a thousand times first. And that really speaks to how much there is in the game. If mm -hmm. when you start, people say, oh, you want to get good? Go lose a thousand times. And then you can maybe see what's happening in this game. Right. So, yeah. I have a similar recommendation when I'm trying to introduce people to chess uh, for, for exactly the reason that we're talking about, where you teach someone the rules and you plop them down and they can't determine why they would make one move rather than another move rather than actually playing chess i i recommend that people who are interested in chess start with puzzles learn the rules and do puzzles because then it, you, you, you see do chess puzzles yes you you <laughs> see a puzzle jigsaw. and you're <laughs> i was gonna say i've done jigsaw puzzles before <laughs> thank you for clarifying put pieces together <laughs> When you look at a chess puzzle, you're immediately doing what I would consider the most fun part of chess. You've got a problem that you're trying to solve, and there are, there are more advanced and less advanced puzzles, so you can get one at your level and you can tackle it and kind of and be making meaningful decisions. Where when you get the board set up, you might not be, you might not be able to make a meaningful decision from that position. So so I so I would say yeah, just do chess puzzles until you're inspired to play a game of chess play a full game of chess have no idea what you're doing lose and go back to chess puzzles i think you'll i think you'll have a lot more fun that way than kind of forcing yourself to try to enjoy the real game uh for for whatever reason and and i would say the same thing for go um there are go puzzles um i think i, I like go puzzles more than i like playing go um <laughs> The you other thing. Start with a seven by seven, right? A nine by nine, yeah. Nine by nine. Uh, there the are smaller are so boards. Yeah, the the tr uh, traditionally the smallest board you can play with. You know, the rules of the game will adapt to any side bo size board. Uh, conventionally, a nine by nine is the the smallest, and then there's a thirteen by thirteen, and then finally the nineteen by nineteen uh, monstrosity. Um. And it, like when me and my wife feel like playing Go for, for whatever reason, the, the the inspiration only strikes us once in a blue moon. Uh, but we'll play on a nine by nine or a thirteen by thirteen. We're not trying to <laughs> we're not trying to have an hours long 
kind of and because 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 both of us are still you know we, we've played a bit probably played about as much go as i have like a less than hive but like in that realm right and we and we feel like we're figuring hive out we kind of get hive and go we're still like What's <laughs> let's play on the nine by nine and we're just like very confused and lost but i but not bored and i don't know what makes the difference between getting bored with go and not getting but bored there, with go but there's a board in go and not in hive oh <laughs> this man's killing it yeah i am uh if there aren't other comments on go there there was one more abstract that uh yeah, that i wanted to talk about ben, which is do you have any you wanted to bring up uh, the only one that the only one that I've been thinking of, and the only reason I'm thinking of it is because of Go, just visually, is uh, Reversi or Othello, which right. I think is the newer version. Othello and I've is played, I've used played that. Yeah, I've played that a few times, and I enjoy it. I think when you when you mentioned Yinch as well, I was like, oh, this is very similar, uh, except you are like removing pieces instead of just right making them larger. Mm-hmm colored areas but yeah that one you're placing pieces on the board and if you surround on both ends i guess so like if you imagine a line on a chess board if you were to put what your piece on one end and on the other right flip all the pieces in the middle to your color but that also opens up your opponent to capture some of your pieces because typically they'll have pieces already on the board and whoever ends up when the game is over and all the pieces have been placed, whoever ends up with the largest area of their color wins the game. Mm. So that's the one I, I yeah, that is like times. weirdly go e. That's interesting. Yeah, so the, the different, like I always thought go was basically the same thing, but it's the difference is that go, you're like removing the stones, mm-hmm. I guess. Right. Whereas in reverse or Othello, you are leaving them on the board. You're just flipping them to the other color. That was it. That was really it for me. Mostly Hive. I just like talking about Hive. Yeah, I I love Hive. I also really like (laughs) Pack. Oh. Yeah. Segue. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Tack Tack is an abstract, of course. I have only had the opportunity to play it a few times. Um, I would really like to play it more. Um, It's one I'd like to own, um, but it's disappointingly expensive for for such a simple game uh if you want if you want one of the real nice ones it is very expensive mm-hmm. though i think i think i own it i think i have it in florida i don't remember if i sold nice. it um i've honestly never played it but i read the books that it's come from so i bought it i would play it with you if there's an online version so i you know. i think there is yeah so we can look into that. I just looked it up now, and Tack by Cheap Ass Games is fifty five dollars. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. not yeah. cheap. Yeah, no. I, it's, you can get Hive Pocket for like fifteen is, bucks. Yeah, and what's crazy is Tack is like the base level, just and then you can go into Tack. But like the base level that you're buying of Tack for that price is like some cheap pieces of wood that you can probably cut out of like plywood at home depot no offense to the people who make this game but it's literally like a dark stained uh it's like a dark stained um trapezoid a light stained trapezoid and some cylinders essentially Mm -hmm. and they're like 
cheap pieces of wood on a very thin cardboard like chessboard. But you can go on like Etsy and get tax sets that are like four hundred dollars that are gorgeous. Mm -hmm. But for fifty five dollars, I would expect some bling to a game this light on components, at least the board, like make the board pop or something. I don't know. But yeah, that's that I will say it was expensive for what you get. But I think I found it on sale at one point and just went for it. So. So. Yeah, you you mentioned it's from books. It's from Patrick Rothfuss's uh, Name of the Wind is the first book, or is that the name of the whole series? Uh, The King Killer Chronicles is the name of the series, and it's never going to (laughs) end. And um, yeah, it's meant to be, so it's it's a fantasy series, and Tack is meant to be this game's version of chess or Go. It's, It's the old abstract game that not everybody plays, but that people play in taverns and stuff. And um, when when he wrote the books, he didn't intend for it to be a real game, um, but they got popular, and I guess people were looking for like merchandising opportunities or whatever, and and they developed an actual game to be the tack that exists in the in the world. And I think it came out really well. I think it's a it's a good game. I want to play it more like i said um how it works is that kind of like go there are different board sizes that you can play on uh but one player has the light pieces one player has the dark pieces they take turns either the board starts empty they take turns either placing a piece on a space or making a move there's some rules that go into moves and your goal is to get uh is to connect one end of the board to another end of the board with a path of just uh, pieces of your color. Um, kind of like the, the moving actually works kind of like Dvon, uh, where you uh, you can just make a move from one square to, to a neighboring square, or you can move on to other pieces of your color or your opponent's color. And the stack is considered to be controlled by the player with the, top, the, the piece on top. The color of the piece on top determines <laughs> who owns the stack. Different from Devon, you can move a whole stack. Uh, you don't have to move as many uh, spaces as the stack is tall. You can you can move it as short a distance as you want. But each space that you move the stack, you need to leave a piece behind. Like so, you, mm-hmm. yeah, like Moncala. So you can create these big old stacks where you've like captured your enemy's stones and they're trapped under your stone and they can't use them. But then if you move that stack, you're leaving behind a trail of your opponent's stones that can contribute to their uh, path across the board. Um, the there's all you can also rather than placing one of your stones, um, you know, laying down, you can. Uh, place it kind of standing up on edge. Uh, those are called standing stones, and you can't move a stone onto a standing stone. They're like blockers, but they also don't contribute to your own path. Uh, and then there are capstones. Each player only has one capstone, and they can crush a, a stack that has. <clears throat> excuse me. You can't put a piece on top of a capstone, so it's like it, so a capstone stack can't be captured by your opponent, and a capstone stack can crush standing stones uh, on edge and, and turn them uh, horizontal. Um, and they and a capstone can contribute to your path across the board. So I, I think those are all the rules of tech. <laughs> um, and uh, and it can be played on a on a five by five or a six by six board 
are are the most usual sizes. Um, it, it's another one that you know I played it once and I was like, "Ooh, this is interesting. I, I want to play it again." And I played it a couple more times and I'm still I'm stuck there. I'm like, I, I want to dig into this a little bit. You know, Hive did that to me. Yinch did that to me. So so in that sense, I think it's a solid abstract game. Yeah, I've tried to play Tack a few times against like an AI because they have like an AI player version okay. somewhere that I found, and I got smacked. <laughs> yeah, like quick. But I find it neat. I find it a v- very interesting concept, and I would very much enjoy playing more. So. I have only played it once. I would play it again. I thought it was okay. I was not gripped by it, but I also didn't fully understand how some of it worked and mm-hmm. also accidentally won. Uh, that's I, like, not a good feeling. And then the Imposter person was like, syndrome. you win. I was like, but I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> right. So that's not ideal. So, so it's, it's a good game. It's marred by maybe the, how they've decided to distribute it or whatever. I, I, I guess a lot of what you're paying for is the IP or the merchandising or whatever you want to call it. Does he get money from it? I'm sure. Have to assume. Yeah. I mean, that's probably why he hasn't finished the freaking series. (laughs) living off of his tech money I mean, he's basically george rr R. martin at this yeah point, like yeah second coming <laughs> so so as a game cool game i want to play more of it the community around it is bizarre and 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 that was uh that was part of why i i wanted to talk about it was um i i've checked out the subreddit because it was expensive i was like okay maybe we can make our own set and i went down that rabbit hole you're mentioning on etsy and um pinterest and stuff people put like really cool sets they've made give give you ideas i checked out the subreddit and this the subreddit is just so strange it feels like people want it to be they want the prestige of chess without like thousands of years of history exactly yeah they're like oh well you know (laughs) that's hard (laughs) you know people people dedicate their lives to studying chess i don't want to do that but i do want the pretension of you know of being a smarty pants who who plays a smarty pants game um so 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 they post puzzles to the subreddit and all that kind of stuff and and like and that's totally cool uh but they complain a lot about like the non-existent competitive scene and that's like you know either that happens organically or like you know you can put together a tournament with your friends but like being like how could this <laughs> how could my chess slash go not to be the culturally recognized whatever and it's like well they just, they just invented it and frankly i don't think it's as good of a game as chess or go it also says tech a beautiful game which is which, ugh, yeah that's what i was gonna say they literally have built that into the name of the board game yeah do you want to play TAC this weekend? Oh, you mean TAC of Tack Beautiful, a beautiful game. game? PC yeah. edition? Yeah. Um, With and, and then, travel or whatever. So, so what's what's even worse than the uh, than the pretension to uh, you know being a smarty pants is the, the cultural trappings, like I said, all, uh, fianchetto and and you know, p- <laughs> guioco piano and 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 uh, just all of these, all of the uh, zugzwang, all these terms that have oh, kind English, of English, please. I haven't heard that one in a while, Jamie. 
Zugzwang is a fun one. I, I believe, if I'm remembering right, Zugzwang is when you create a situation where your opponent has no choice but to make a move that is bad for them. I did that to you in Dvan when you had to make a legal move and yep. it lost you the game. Yep. I knew I heard that term before. That was the title of a Criminal Minds episode. Oh, cool. That's neat. Yep, yep. It was about exactly what you were saying. It was like a chess-based uh it wasn't a chess-based killer, but it was like they were talking in chess terms. Cool. Yeah. It was really neat. Fun. I, I think you should watch that episode if you... Uh, it's neat. It's neat. Yeah, like I'd it. probably enjoy it. But so it, 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 as much as I think the world of chess can be kind of pretentious, and as much as the, you know, there's all this like uh, jargon in it and everything like that, I think that the jargon is at least useful. There's a concept and we have a word for it. It's an old German word, but like like whatever we can we can talk about it when we're talking about the strategy of chess and it's kind of it feels like it's mostly organically accrued to the game over time and what's happening with tech is that there are these like terms like from the book that he probably didn't like there were no rules for tech when he was first writing the book right but he wanted it to seem like one of these old games so he so he included that kind of linguistic stuff in there about like oh i see you're using the whatever opening or like (laughs) that that kind of stuff and, and, and it worked for the world building for the book, but now that the game exists, people are like, what does this mean? And they're using all these fake fantasy words to describe situations that nobody has played enough tack to justify <laughs> like needing a term to describe these kinds of situations. So you go to the subreddit and you have the opaqueness of like not knowing what Zugzwang is without like it needing to be that way at all. Uh, and and that really contributes for me to the feeling of like you just want to like you, you you don't even enjoy the game you know you, you just want to like have a pretentious thing for the sake of having a pretentious thing it's it's, it's a very strange very you strange want to seat at the table that's what it is I, I guess yeah. <laughs> so that has, that has nothing to do with tack the game but that was just like when it, yeah i was like oh maybe i can make a tack set and then that's where i wound up <laughs> yeah. I mean, some people make real nice ones but yeah. yeah there's there's gorgeous stuff do do an etsy search because people go nuts and it <laughs> And I think it's related. You know, some people make their own beautiful tax sets for themselves because they're artisans or whatever, and they want to do it. Some people are, are selling them for for tons and tons and tons of money. And why is there a market for thousand dollar tax sets? Because <laughs> people like the books. Is it a that... tax write off? <laughs> oh my god! Oh, god. No, you're probably right about that, Ben. It's probably mostly like being a fan of the books and it's related to the books and you have this cool thing that you can like put on your coffee table or whatever it's like if you were to buy a lord of the rings sword it's not yeah you want to go sword fighting right but i mean why would someone buy a lord of the rings sword right excuse me oh, ben do you have one is that what it is i do i have an elvish blade nice you bought it for me <laughs> and i paid you back you found it at an estate sale and i couldn't resist oh that's and, right I remember and now that. i can defend my home with it if i need to <laughs> and your honor yeah well not much of that but yes the sword is fantastic and i love it I think that's uh, that's my rant over on tack. All right, perfect.
that'll be it for our abstract games episode then yeah we're just thanks for having me on abstract way whoa I don't know how I would do that, so I will just do it just in hit a the bu- hit way. the button and let it end in the <laughs> middle of one of our sentences. Maybe I'll do that. You don't listen, so you won't know anyway. <laughs> Jamie, thanks for joining us. Thanks for talking about chess yes. and Hive and always a pleasure. Other abstract games, Ben. I'm going to go eat lunch and then I'll see you after that. All right, sounds good. And everyone else listening, thanks. Yeah, maybe. No, I'm kidding. Actually, thanks. All right. Until next time. Wait. Thanks to Louisa for the great music throughout. My hero. All right. Yep. See you, Ben. See you, Jamie. See you. See you. See ya. Listening.